You know why I said that? Why? Because you're old. I am old. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot deny. This is episode 38. Very special episode. It is. As happy, was last ha- week's. Happy birthday, Jeremy. <laughs> Thanks, John. Happy birthday, <laughs> Jeremy Ross. Jeremy. Germany. Old man. I've heard it all. Old, old man. I'll Jeremy. respond to almost anything at this point in life. But you live your life like an old man. Oh, in some ways. I mean, I was always been told that I'm like an old man in a young you're man's like body. 10 going on 30. Did you hear that since you're like 10 years old? Until I hit like 25 and then it became 25 going on 50. <laughs> <laughs> you start getting later letters from AARP in the mail. I wish I'm ready for discounts. Yeah. Oh, you know what my wife got? I don't know why. She's she's only six years older than me. And um, a few months ago, she got like a nursing home. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I'm sure you did. She, she did. She did not. I don't, I don't know why. She has no sense of humor. Well, John, apparently we're about to kick off a really exciting thing. You know what it is? No. It's MVP Summer 2015. <laughs> 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 Hashtag MVP Summer 2015. <laughs> I was not expecting that energy at all. Oh, I had to do some serious blocking of people today. Uh, yeah, not blocking. Hashtag abusers. I, I don't block, I mute. I was like, yeah, I had to mute the hashtag. It's just completely out of control. I mean, who's headed to MVP Summit? Let's get an RT going. Let's get it trending. Damn. Uh, almost there. If you're already there in SFO, tweet MVP. Uh, <laughs> what should I do on my flight to MVP? Uh, what, what do you do on a flight? Uh, uh, let's see. Here's to all my fellow MVPs feeling refreshed and ready to rock. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag MVP Summit 2015. Hashtag Safe Harbor. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna love hashtag Safe Harbor. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I'm gonna be in Dreamforce, and I'm just gonna like every second tweet hashtag Safe Harbor. I'll see how well that goes. Because um, you know what, I want to be the most tweet. I, I want to, I will be muting you as well. No, man. I want to be the person that tweets the most at Dreamforce. I want that award, and um, it'll just be nothing but hashtag Safe Harbor. This isn't that would not be something to be proud of. What tweeting the most at Dreamforce? Here's okay. Here's what I want to know. It's gamifying a conference. Does the does the MVP summit and we 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 have to we have to get Shell on finally. We need to get we we've been talking about getting a guest. We need to we'll just drag him out here and, and make him tell us all the secrets. Well, I'm just, all no, the no. secrets that they. I mean, reveal. I know no, they get. Okay. I know they get. You know. Um, access to you know information early and stuff like that. And that's that's all fine. No, they got to take all their pictures. But they, they got to get their cool shoes to wear. Or <laughs> they'll have some some kind of apparel that they'll all be wearing, right? Because I think that like a couple last year it was shoes or something. Well, they all, they also have like the same. They all have like the same glamour shot for their Twitter photo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very. It's like the cult of the cult. It's the ultimate cult. These guys. But no, but I what we, I want to know. We have a lot of friends and colleagues in the MVP. So I, I well, let's just say. Our, our criticism criticism comes with love. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's a homogeneous group. And a I bit mean, of these are, you know, uh, have we talked about before what it takes to become an MVP? Yeah, I think we have. have. We? Okay, because I, I kind of had my sights set on doing it, and then I kind of fell out of fell out of wanting to do it. I'm, I'm not sure it's for me. It seems like a lot of work. It seems like a lot of free labor. Of it's kind of like it's like kind of like a right. hackathon, but for like at for other, you yeah. know, not coding. 
it's free, but you get the recognition the of being the MVP. There's like in a hackathon, you get the right. recognition for winning or doing something really cool. Uh, but I, mean, I guess that that's your thing. Or, or if that benefits you, I mean, that's, I guess it's good bragging rights or something to put on your resume. It could definitely win you some deals, I guess, to say I'm an MVP. Right? I don't know if it win you deals. It just get, it might, it just gives you some credibility. It might give you, you know, a little bit of extra oomph on the resume or something on your website, on your Twitter hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> uh we need to clip that one but yeah what do they do with this thing i know they i know they um do they talk about like uh the decisions that salesforce needs to make or i remember hearing things that like they i don't know i'm not sure if they were going to take suggestions to salesforce i, I think salesforce I, I don't know if they really if this is just lip service or what but they supposedly you know ask the mvps for suggestions and try to get directions almost like a little bit like a steering committee i guess well i guess that i guess they have access to product development or anything like that so i think they i mean they're but that's all after the fact stuff i'm talking about like direction or do they have how much input do they have into the direction of oh you know, i have no idea you know, and the salesforce you know, do they care i, I, I think this i mean salesforce is hosting this and i think they're paying for everyone to go down there so it's it's an investment from salesforce into to everyone involved so I imagine it's very driven well, by I, Salesforce, the agenda. Yeah. So they're, they're, they yeah, want to sure. talk about Dreamforce, what we're going to talk about Dreamforce, you know, probably. I don't think they're doing um, codes anymore, right? Because there's, there's too much demand. So they're not doing like coupon oh, codes discount anymore. Codes yeah, for discount Dreamforce. codes for Dreamforce. Yeah. Which is fine with me because that discount code was not worth how many times people tweeted it. Yeah, it just seems, oh. it's like, why have a code if, if it's just going to be out there? I have no idea. Just make the price. That's that's, that. an, that's another thing I had to yeah, eventually I just have to mute. If not, I would see it a million times. It's like, hey guys, we got it. You were just you, jealous because you weren't going. Go. You're like, everyone's going but me. I was not jealous. Now I'm You're going this year, man. Well, I'm, I am going. We're trying all different avenues to get a get a paid ticket to it. <laughs> oh, you, yeah, you are. You've got yours covered. No, I'm, I don't. I'm, I'm sticking, still waiting I'm sticking for, to our plan. I'm still waiting for the press pass. Well. Yeah, and I just checked the other day, and they still have not said anything. I know. I mean, what I, if you were waiting on that to to buy a hotel or something? I mean, you, you're just no, you don't do that. You you, you book. <laughs> yeah, we, we we booked a room. We had the room. I guess it is oh. Salesforce. You know, I, you, I'm, I'm 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 just thinking that they either yay or nay us, and if they nay us, they'll be nice enough to give us that early pricing. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping. Uh, we'll probably be stuck with whatever it costs to get in at the door. That's like a. Two grand bill, I think. Yeah, I won't be going. Um, well, all right, so I um, I, I have some, some follow up. You do before we get into any topics. Follow up. Shell sent this in to us, so um, I I don't know what we were talking about. Maybe maybe Lexi Loader or something. But I'd mentioned Simon Fell, mm-hmm. who I did not realize no longer works at Salesforce. It was a surprise to me that. I didn't know he worked at Salesforce. What? I thought he was just, you know, a guy out there that was publishing these tools and he's been my favorite Salesforce employee <laughs> since the beginning of Salesforce. Well, I, yeah. I didn't realize that. Did you hear that? Oh, you? Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and he was like, he's, he's the main person I would want to meet if I went to Dreamforce. And now he doesn't work there anymore. That doesn't mean he's not going to be there, is it? I don't know. I haven't communicated with him. I'm going to, I'll see if I can find out just, if he's going just hashtag him on twitter yeah hashtag are you going to dreamforce yeah 
can we meet? <laughs> Make coffee and a little yeah. nightcap. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag, I think I love you. Yeah. <laughs> Do one of those things where you, uh, you post a Craigslist. Hey, that, that former Salesforce employee that I met with, I don't, I didn't get your contact information, oh, but is uh, that miss or yeah, cross paths yeah. or something. There's um, that, that's a thing, right? Uh, it is a thing. Yeah, yeah. People do that. Yeah. So he's not at Salesforce. That's, that's a bummer. And that I don't, and again, I, this just is my perception, but I feel like there's this brain drain, like so many of the smart people that were the smart and productive people that worked at Salesforce are gone. I don't, I don't know, even know where he went. I didn't. Well, we talked about the brain drain. I think people just, they, they have a lot of talent. They have a lot of value and you know, you want to put that to the best use. And if Salesforce isn't, isn't exciting for you at that point in time, or you have some great new idea you want to explore, you're going to move on. Yeah. It's not necessarily so. a reflection on Salesforce. I mean, it sucks for them to lose that kind of talent, but well, it can be a reflection. I mean, I mean, they, when... they've gone off and invested in some of these things that people have gone off and done. So it's one way to keep them in the fold. That's right. All right. So you can uh, feel free to move on with your topic. I started writing again after a year and a half of not writing for my blog. Okay. I mean, you've been telling me about your blog for months now. So what's, what's the news? You got making new posts? I did. I, I spent the weekend and I, I actually, I did three posts. Two of them were ones that I had to rewrite because I'd, it'd been so long since I had uh, originally written them and I needed to edit them. Iterativelogic.com. Not found. I hang on. What? It's found. I'm missing a C. Doesn't work if you misspell it. It should. It's not a very good blog if it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this looks good, man. I like the clean. Yeah, I cleaned it up. I gave it a new theme and um <clears throat> I started adding some images to my post just for color and make it nice and you know, whatever. Yeah. Put some eye candy on there. Using invocable methods with squid. 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 Yeah. So I, I am actually going to start including squid in my blog. So previous to it was primarily just Salesforce, Apex, you know, some basic stuff. Um, but I'm going to start doing some more squid stuff on there since I have gained so much knowledge in that area. That's what have, you do full time now. That's not what I do full time. Really? Well. I would like to know if there's anyone doing more squid than you're doing. That would be interesting. I, I just happen to have a client who's all in on squid and then, you know, they want to explore every aspect yeah. of it. So, I mean, I, I, I'm, it's, it's a good game. For me, I like it cause yeah. I'm, I'm doing JavaScript stuff. Right. And I like which JavaScript. Which is a hell of a lot better than doing Apex and Visual Force stuff. Yeah. Well, now I'm trying to bridge the worlds, which is what that article is about. It's about, you know, trying to leverage what I know in Apex and be able to use that in squid. And, and basically what I did is I, I said, Hey, we've got invocable methods. You know, maybe I can use that to call my Apex code. Cause before what I had to do was encapsulate my, squid page in a visual force page which it technically is but i have to do it in a way that i can implement my own extension controller and that gives me ability to write um, methods that are annotated with remote as remote actions which then lets me do client-side javascript and call those methods so but you know i wanted to see if there's a better way if there's another option with invocable methods because then i don't have to i don't have to have that I can just, you know, make a REST call to the to Salesforce for that invocable method and call it and have it do whatever I need to do and have it return some data. And happy to say I was able to do that. So I'm, I, what's the difference? I'm confused. I well, something. invocable methods are, they're kind of global. And Why would you have a method that's not invocable? 
Or is this just a bad name? This is a bad name. Okay. This is an invoke. So what is invoke? This is an annotation. This is the invoke. We talked about this. Can't believe you. It's not necessarily for me. Oh, okay. Okay. You're playing devil's advocate or what are you? Just trying, I'm trying to be expository here. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, so an invocable method is, is actually an annotation in your Apex code. So you, you annotate your method within a class and you can only have one. That's important to know. You can only have one. Um, so you, you identify a method as invocable. And once you do that, um, that method is available as through the West, 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 the West, the West API, the rest API. <laughs> <laughs> the REST API. Uh, you can, you can invoke it through process builder so you can execute it from process builder. Okay. So how is that different though, than just creating an exposed rest service? Well, it's different because, um, because of the prospect process builder hook. So process builder doesn't just let you make an arbitrary API call. It's once you make an annotation, you can do that. So you can call it from, actually you can call it from process builder and from flows, that particular method. Okay. And so I thought, well, why don't I see if I can do that? Now for me, it's, it's an opportunity to do some reuse. And actually my ultimate idea is that if, if I can get this to work, you know, maybe there's an opportunity for squid or even for myself to build something on top of squid that says, here's a button. And I, and rather than calling JavaScript or something for a, as a snippet or as an action, you know, maybe I can pull from a list of invocable methods and call that instead. So now I have the pull, ability pull from a list of invocable methods. Well, the way process builder works is you configure your process, you have your criteria and everything. And then you, based on that criteria, you invoke an action. Okay. And one of those actions can be an invocable method right. or an apex is what's called in the list. You'll see it as an apex option. And you click that and then you'll get a list of methods that it knows about from the system. Mm -hmm. And you click on that. And if, you're, um, if your method has arguments, you know, things that you need to supply it, you know, a record ID or a list of records, um, you can then map, you know, from the process builder, some data to send to that method. And similarly, I think that would be great to have in Squid because then now I now we have kind of a true, um, an easier way to declaratively say, hey, you know, let's call this method on Apex versus what I've had to do before, which is, right, either create a, web, a REST API or some kind of API that it can consume or use the remoting tools that are available in VisualForce and wrap your page within that. So how does it, um, how does it, how does it serialize parameters and return values and things? It's all JSON. So you, you send it the, there's a certain syntax that you have to use, um, it, a format for the message going to that you're submitting to the invocable method and it's a post. And then the information, you can return a class or a string or whatever, but that information gets represented back as, as JSON. Aren't there like uh, constraints on data types or whatever for invocable methods? Number of parameters or anything? Well, they are, but it's basically, you're do basically doing JSON to, to Apex at that point. So as long as, as long as whatever you supply it can be casted to whatever data type you're, it's expecting, mm -hmm. then you're fine. Okay. Otherwise, you'll start getting errors. But you can call these just from, just you could have some random client invoking these methods via rest right right yeah it's just it just happens that they and do they have to be sending um does it have to be serialized as json i don't know if that's a requirement but that's what i did 
Um, and all the examples mm. that, that are shown using it in that fashion yep. happen to be JSON. In fact, I, I had forgotten to set the content type for my message. So I spent like 30 minutes, maybe an hour trying to figure out this issue. It wasn't calling it. It was throwing some weird error. I thought it was data types not matching up, but it, I just, I just forgot to set the content header. There's just something about this invocable method abstraction that gives, makes me wonder why do we need this additional yet another abstraction? In terms of, I mean, we already can write apex methods and those, you can already expose things as web services or as, as rest. I think what's important about invocable methods is the fact that it plays well with a, with the process builder. And the process builder is a potentially, I mean, I have some gripes with the process builder uh, even today with some of the bugginess and quirkiness and some of the things that you still can't do with it. But, yeah, I won't even use it yet. I'm just not interested. But I think I think it could be a valuable tool once all that gets worked out, once we get to version two or three of it. Right. Um, I think it could be a really nice tool and I think it can bridge. But it's, is it going to be the tail wagging the dog? Now I've got to, now I've got to write special code, code that that know essentially knows what type what what client is going to call it and therefore has to you know uh i don't i don't see it that way i see it as a potential for for better reuse even across some of the declarative tools because you can have your business logic you can have a a class that knows how to do maybe do some calculation Mm -hmm. and all you have to do is then layer an invocable method on top of that which exposes it to the rest api exposes it to process builder exposes it to you know, flows or whichever else. Okay. And so now, now you can have some, you know, you know, de- what do we call them? Declarative developers now? Is that what we're calling them? System admins? <laughs> Who the hell <laughs> now knows? Now system admin can go in and configure a process and call that business logic. And you may have something else calling that business logic. Maybe it's a, you know, another, a- someone calling it from the REST API or something. So now you have this, this nice set of code that's, that's here that's being leveraged in a lot of different ways. So is the invocable method just like a thin layer over actual business logic? That's how you should use it, yes. Okay. I mean, you can only have one invocable method per class. So what you'll end up having is a class, an invocable method, and you could stick your entire business logic within that. But uh, obviously that's not what you're going to want to do. You want to abstract that out into its own one class and then pass it through. invocable method per class, huh? Yeah. It's actually an important distinction because when you call it through the race to IPR, you're not, call, you're not calling it by the name of your method. You're calling it by the name of the class that it's in. So it's an invocable class, essentially. Essentially. Now, it, it would be nice if you could have multiple in the same class. I'm not sure why, why it was done that way. Because then you could create like a set of calls within a certain library, but that's not the way they implemented it. Yeah, there must have been some, some kind of constraint they were working with or some, some technical limit, you know, or just hurdle that they didn't have time to deal with. Yeah. I get it out the door. But I was happy. I made the call. Got it to work. So if you need a, you know, if you, I guess if you want to have a lot of invocable methods, you're looking at just a lot of Apex classes. You are, and that's the drawback. But I think, I think potentially, because I have this. That ties into the other issue, another limitation, which is the fact that there's just one namespace of Apex classes. Yeah. And it's already hard enough to, to find an Apex class you're looking for and, and to maintain some kind of um, sanity around dependencies. Right. Which basically there's really not a way to, I mean, you put a class out there and other things can call that class, even if you don't want them to. Yeah. It's too bad. So now you can't change your class that you created for one little thing for you. Someone else formed a dependency on it. 
and now you can't change it. Well, that's why you move your logic outside of it. So that you're, all, it's, all it is is a wrapper around your logic. doesn't matter where you move it to. I can still form a dependency on it. Oh, no. I mean, I mean, yes, there's a dependency on that class, right. but your business logic shouldn't, shouldn't ma- that dependency shouldn't matter to your actual business logic, the actual code. This is just a entry point to it. Right. But you're right. That, that class, that invocable method then has a dependency and you're yeah. stuck with it. Hey, maybe this year at Dreamforce, they will announce that they have uh, namespaces for Apex or packages or whatever groups or folders, whatever you want to call it. I highly doubt that. With some, with some visibility settings for a package or for items in that package. Yeah. Some visibility control. But yeah, no, I mean, all of this contributes to my vision of less dependency on triggers and trying to play nicer with declarative tools with Apex. I think there's some value in being able to do that. I think there's value in allowing a feature to be easily deprecated by deactivating a process versus we got to de- we got to deploy a, a delete of a trigger or we got to deploy a deactivation of a trigger um, and then all that comes with that. Well, the problem with just, I, again, I, I, I don't know, I guess I can f- come at it from a different angle. I mean, if you can just deactivate something in production, that can actually break tons of stuff. And if, it, if you can do that in production without running tests and doing some due diligence, then I don't see that as a good thing. Well, I think your, your unit test will be focused on the functionality. So your unit test would validate that this method can calculate this number the way it needs to. But because Salesforce unit tests are actually full-on integration tests, you actually have to depend on triggers doing or processes, whatever they are, doing the things they do in order to be able to actually test functionality, right? I think there's scenarios where that's true. I, I, I want to I say, I want to hope that that's minimal, that there's that type of dependency, that you need, you're depending on a trigger to set this value so that a future set of code can then make it do its job. And you also, you want that, you want a level of integration testing where you are testing that your triggers and your... Um, well, that's, I mean, that's the thing with this, and all this your, your, your unit test will still workflow. run and that'll still have to validate. It'll still have to calculate the same information because you're not, you're not getting rid of the code. You're just deactivating whatever triggers it. You're not validating that this record got updated with this value. You're validating that this value got calculated correctly. Um, okay. I mean, integration testing is still going to make sure everything's still working right together. When you when you combine, you know, triggers and workflow and field updates and processes and all these types of things you want something that no you want tests that know that you can drop a value in one end of that and out of the other end comes this result you're looking for yeah and you should have tests for that and if you're just you know disabling crap in production then you don't know what you've broken and you don't know what effects that's going to have i mean because again a process is just kind of like one filter in a set of pipes and filters i I still think that's too rigid of a that's too rigid Okay. You need to build. I, I I see that as especially when it comes to business logic or even even kind of the user's experience. If we start to get into to that type of thing, I mean, it needs to be flexible. You need to be able to adjust it. I mean, that's the value of Salesforce is that you can modify, you can add new fields, you can change it, you can you know as your process changes, you can change it. And the problem is the tooling and everything else. And maybe I'm trying to solve a problem because of how bad the tooling is. But I, you know, the, the problem of deactivating a trigger because it got into production and it's either A, causing issues or it's something that does not need to happen anymore, the speed and ability of being able to say, okay, we made a decision, let's deactivate it. Boom, it's done. Versus going back to your 
development team who's already backlogged with a ton of stuff. They have a they've gotten to the point where they're only releasing updates once a month or even mm-hmm. every quarter. And now you have to wait every quarter to deactivate that. Yeah, but until you deactivate it and then test and see what happens, you don't know what's you don't know what else you've broken. It, that's what that's why people have to be involved. It, it you know, you make a decision to deactivate a feature and you have to understand if, what the ramifications are de- of deactivating that. Well, so what are you just suggesting? Just deactivate it and just manual testing? See if see if data starts, you know, getting messed up and people start complaining or whatever? Or? No, ideally you would deactivate it in your sandbox and see if anything happens and then go and, de- you know, deactivate it in your production. The oh, point is you're yeah. not having to... The point is a different team can handle that other than your already overbooked, you know, development team. Well, that's a totally separate problem. That's kind of a separate issue if you have a development team that's whatever has issues we're all busy man we're all busy trying to build it's new true. things yeah make things work yeah i still can't imagine just willy-nilly changing stuff in production the way the code works well that's the environment sales in. i mean you have to you at some point you just have to understand that and i'm not necessarily saying be okay with it yeah. but you have to understand that that's the culture that's been cultivated in salesforce is that you can change something in production and you know that's that's the norm well, that was the culture. We early come from a, on, we come from a background on, and culture it, where that's not something you do. But as Salesforce becomes this bigger enterprise system and it's a platform as a service and everything, yeah, you know, it's we're building big software on top of this thing, bigger pieces of, you know. But we're we're the exception to the rule. I don't think we're an Every, exception. I think just think we are a certain type of of user. No, I, I think the type of customizations that we do, the 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 level of coding and things that we do as developers, as coders, as they're calling us now is the exception to the Salesforce mantra. The, sa- the no software, the no coding, the every tool they build is declarative. We're well, the exception. Well, they don't say that. I mean, a lot of the tools they build aren't declarative. They're not for declarative, right? Process builder, workflow. I said, I didn't say they weren't some that were declarative. See, you're, not listening. You're, you're throwing all these straw men out here left and right. I didn't say that none of them were declarative. I just said not all of them are declarative. What I'm saying is Salesforce's focus is not developers. Otherwise, you'd have your namespaces, you'd have your better tooling, you'd have your IDEs, you'd have your debug tools, you'd have, you wouldn't have the crappy console that we have. We are not their focus. Their focus is system admins who are customizing Salesforce to using declarative tools. Their their focus is, yeah, it's, they're not selling to developers and the developer experience. They're selling to people who are making the decision to buy Salesforce. Right. And I think that's... And I'm, I'm just trying to play the game here. I think there's a way to get declarative and the developers to kind of kind of bridge some kind of gap here. Right. But don't you already complain about people like, you know, creating a workflow or disabling a workflow in production and break stuff? Oh, yeah. Right. This is just this. Can, this is going to be worse than that. It is what it is, man. I know. But, it, but doesn't it create <laughs> it's the problems? world we live in? I mean, how can I sanely manage that or, or suggest people do that? If we already know that that causes problems, I mean, we, like unexpected problems, we do what we can to minimize our risk. I mean, we create factory classes for all of our instantiations for unit testing. I mean, we have different things that we do to try and minimize that. Right. And I mean, it is what it is. It's, it's part of what we th- have to deal with. Do you think Salesforce at, um, at Dreamforce will have, will be providing a guidance for those types of practices around process builder? I have no idea. I'm hoping. I don't know. Process Builder is new, and I think they will announce updates, you know, coming updates in winter and everything mm-hmm. for it, and probably new features and new functionality. My hope is that it just stabilizes a bit more. 
yeah. and and that usability has improved a little bit because it is still hard to use. Right. I mean, once you kind of understand some of the quirkiness of it, you can create something relatively quickly. Right. And I've done that. But, you know, I still get calls and, and things from other people who go, um, how would you do this in yeah. the process builder? I mean, I, I love that you can't mess with productions or, or uh, triggers productions. <laughs> you can't mess with triggers or like workflow or um, classes in production. And they still have their place. I mean, because that prevents people from blowing their leg off, right? Yeah. I mean, because they do blow their leg off by changing workflow or even making a field required, right? And turns out that, and then the next thing you know, you're getting, you know, people are getting uh, unhandled exceptions in production on all kinds of things because. Well, it creates a nightmare for us, but I think, I think business, or at least those who are managing Salesforce and, and put some value behind it, value the flexibility of being able to change it whenever they want to over what we have to deal with, the ramifications of doing that. Yeah, I mean, so I guess what you're saying is it wouldn't it be nice if you could just, you know, make some change and not have to worry about it, break anything or, or test it, I, I guess. But I just don't see how that's good. Th- I mean, that's not going to be the case, right? I mean, you're going to you're going to create some process or disable some process and it's going to break things that you didn't even think about. Like, it's too hard to think about it. There's just so much involved when you get all these triggers and workflow and everything, you know, it's like, well, we're all chasing our tails. You know, you know, what would solve this is a faster compiler and unit test execution plan so that. Whenever, so that they can do something like whenever you make a change to workflow, run all tests. Right. You can't do that now because that takes no. hours. Right. Yep. I know. Well, that goes back to the tooling thing. If the tools are better, then these these processes and standards that we like to have in order to achieve quality wouldn't be so burdensome. Right. They wouldn't be so dreaded. But right now, yeah. I mean, but I, I think Salesforce's view is that well, you know, we, native tools already have all that built in, so you don't have to do that. Stop. Stop customizing the system so yeah, much. I guess so. I don't know. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah. All right. Well, I built it. It's up there. You can review it. You can see how I built it. Code's all there. Iterative, iterativelogic.com. It's easy for me to say, huh? Iterativelogic.com. Yeah. <clears throat> I have no idea where I came up with that name, but it is what it is. Iterative logic. It's very, uh, it's very meta. It's very uh, tail chasing. It's iterative. <laughs> it is. <laughs> My life is iterative. Uh, it is. Life is iterative. Okay. What's next on our docket? Um, I think we need a word. Okay. Whenever I talk about a custom field, I always say, oh, I always no, say this, this out loud. I always say underscore underscore C. I don't say double underscore C. I don't say... Custom field. I say underscore underscore C. It's such an awkward thing to have to say, isn't it? It is because I feel like I need to make sure that people understand. I guess I always feel like I'm in teaching mode where I need you to understand that this field is called, you know, account underscore number underscore underscore C. Otherwise, you're going to just go underscore C or not put that there. So definitely saying underscore underscore is awkward and sounds ridiculous. Um, double underscore, big improvement, but still a mouthful. Dub C. Yeah. Or it could be R, the Dub though. C. Maybe double bar, double bar C, double bar R. Why can't R? we just say custom field and everyone just assume it's got an underscore sense? Well, but you're saying trying to say the actual field name. That's the problem. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Two bar? Two I, bar C? Two bar R? Account number two bar R. Account number dub C. Account number custom. 
I don't know. And, and, but under, and, but we, just, got a, we got another issue because it's not just underscore underscore C. You can have uh, underscore underscore tab. Yeah. Or tag or, or tag. whatever. Right? There's a yeah. yeah. It's just, it's just the two underscores. It's just very awkward. Dubbin. Dubbin. Two lines, bars, double bar, two bar. Dubbin. I don't know. I'm surely someone has come up with a good name for this. I don't know. If you come up, if you have a good name, a, a good kind of, what, what do we call it? A buzzword or? Uh, no, it's not a buzzword. It's, it's not intended to, uh, attract you know attention or pr or anything it's just it's just a good if you, if you have a witty a good witty name for this you know yeah you know tweet us let us know so we can stop saying underscore underscore yeah, i just need something that's practical it doesn't have to be witty even just something that actually makes sense people know what you mean and it's easy to say and we'll just make it up and then and then we'll just yeah you know when you hear this replace that with this although it's probably going to end up with something like and this really annoys me when people, instead of people saying www oh yeah dub 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 Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up i don't even uh, say ww anymore maybe that's what I, maybe we just need to stop saying and everyone assume if you well, you do say because you have to sometimes yeah when i'm talking to my grandma <laughs> <laughs> uh, well did you see fitbit's gonna try for an ipo that should make uh mr benioff happy since he's a an investor I guess. I mean, is he still wearing his Fitbit now that he has an Apple Watch? I think he's wearing both. We'll, we'll yeah, see. That's great. We'll have to, I'll have to see <clears> some video of him. Well, we might be able to see some video or some pictures of him soon because he's uh and he's uh, doing a, a commencement speech at Berkeley. And he can't run. He can't run his business from his Fitbit. Mm-mm. That's a big strike against the Fitbit. I wonder how. I, I'd love to know how well he's doing on Fitbit. If he's lost anything, if he's gained any kind of additional activity or health. That kind of looks the same to me. He does. This, well, My problem with a lot of these trackers is that we all have this information, but we're not, I don't think we're doing anything with it. We just know that we did X, Y, Z. It, it, we confuse action with results. It's just to count your steps or to whatever, or to, or to go spend some money on something that's for your health makes you automatically makes you feel good about yourself. I just spent some money on something for my health. I put it on and I just gained 10 years of my life. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, they have a direct competitor with uh with the Apple Watch now since they they kind of have a smart watch that, yeah. that but it's geared specifically for, you know, fitness. I wondered about that how the the Apple Watch will affect the Fitbit. And I I really just don't think it will that much because Apple Watches are just so expensive. I mean, the probably yeah. average price is 6 or 700 dollars for an Apple Watch. Much your Fitbit's 100 150 something like that. Uh, I think they go up to 250 for their high end. Yeah. So, and it, it it's specifically for that and it of course, because it's not trying to run applications and things like that. The battery life is is a lot longer, right? So, you, and it, it'll actually do sleep tracking if I remember correctly. Before There's a mine huge difference between two hundred dollars and seven hundred dollars. So, yeah, I, I think they'll be okay. Yeah, and I think that the isn't the tracking actually better than the doesn't the Apple Watch have a, a little bit of a problem? I think it's having issues with the tracking, you know, the pace tracking and things like that right now. Um, both of them use the same <clears throat> technology, I believe, for heart rate monitoring, and it's not accurate from what I understand. So I, I think from, from tracking wise, I think the other ones are probably better. They've had more time to work on their algorithms and all that kind of stuff that yeah. calculates that. Plus it's a, I think people wear them differently. You know, my wife, she has her watch. I don't have my watch yet, but she likes to wear her watch really loose. And so it moves up and down her arm 
And so that messes with the tracking. Yeah, you have to wear it tighter than that. Now, when she was wearing a tracking device like that, it was small enough and light enough that she could wear it tighter on her wrist and it stayed in one spot. So it's more likely more accurate that way than it is, you know, with the way she wears her watch and how loose it is. Yeah. Hmm. Are you ready for OAS? Okay, what is that? It's my my new term. (laughs) Dubbing a new term, OAS. Sure, that one will catch on. It will. OS. Well, we have pass and IAS. IAS and MBAS. MBAS. What is MBAS? Mobile backend. Oh. Yeah. So, well, Windows 10 is coming out, and they're tr- they're trying to say that Windows 10 will be the last last Windows you will ever see. Yeah, they're going to go to a continuous delivery model, right? Yeah. It's probably good. It will be. Although we haven't broken this mold yet, Microsoft. What's going on? <laughs> what mode the the free updates and everything will be for consumers but enterprise will still have to worry about pro and server and all those kind of different versions so i'm not sure how that's going to affect them in terms of updates and releases it would be nice if just like apple we have one os and you can differentiate between mobile and desktop but to have three or four different versions you know for enterprise consumer and all those kind of things i think is a bit much Especially since it's all just hidden technology, it's all in there. So the commu- the the community or the the inter- the consumer version is going to be free. Is that what you said? Yeah, they should start going to kind of free updates, kind of the same model that that uh, Apple's gone to with their OS. You know, they don't really charge for it anymore. You get your updates. So if someone has to pay for Windows, so they make money. So that maybe that's why there's different the Pro Edition and the and the Business Edition. I guess. I mean, Apple's probably got has a different model because you have to buy their machine to get the OS. Right. Different, different revenue stream. But, I mean, Microsoft is not losing out anywhere when it comes to hardware manufacturers. You have to buy a... You basically have to license Windows from, from Microsoft to put it on that machine. So you're still paying Microsoft, even though the consumer is not paying Microsoft directly. The manufacturer of that PC is paying mm, right, Microsoft. Right, for new PCs. Yeah, yeah they're, what, they're COA things. that I, I remember having to track those and maintain <sighs> that yeah. database. It was a pain. Right. Yeah, and I think that's always been like 90% of Windows revenue, or maybe even more, is new machines. Yeah. So it's not like they can't, they can't make their money off that model, um, but I just, I just think they, they really like, you know, trying to create that stronghold, kind of create that kind of, I want to say illusion of value for enterprise, but who knows? It's all the same operating system. Yeah. Just with things disabled? Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Well, so since we talked about the, uh, well, last week was the, some, a lot more of the Salesforce acquisition news. And since then there's been a, you know, a week of hundreds of new little splinter rumors and different theories. I don't think anything's really changed though. I mean, no, nothing's new. So here I've, I made a list of the, of all just, and I'd captured just as I saw them, these articles. So here's, this is an order. So uh, Microsoft could buy Salesforce. Uh, Microsoft has no plans to buy Salesforce, and the uh, Microsoft considers Salesforce's current market valuation expensive, so they're just too expensive to buy. Not worth it. Um, it would be it could be bad for Microsoft. In fact, I have a short clip. Bad for Microsoft. Okay. If I were a shareholder of Microsoft, I would be sending a note uh, to the board of directors going, please do not do this. Uh, (laughs) Large transactions in the software business historically have a terrible track record. And the thing that 
if I'm Microsoft, what I want from Salesforce is less the product than the sort of joie de vivre that comes with a company run by Mark Benioff. The joie de vivre. What is that? I don't know. Something of life. I think it's just that Mark. He's Mark more cultured the, than I am. Mark is the uh, <laughs> professional partier. You know, he's got that. It's like this. This you know the young, um, high energy atmosphere of Salesforce. And I don't think Microsoft is shopping for a new CEO. And as a consequence, I think the one thing they're absolutely certain not to get if they were to acquire Salesforce would be the culture. You know, I think, in fact, a large number of people would leave right away. And, you know, they'd have sure. all the products and the products would be of some value. But I don't think you can justify 50 or more billion dollars to acquire a, a company at, this, at that stage. It, this, is, this is one of those things. If I'm Microsoft, you know, they shouldn't be waiting until companies are the scale of Salesforce to, to acquire them. They should be building things internally. And they have lots of opportunities to do that. In fact, I think we're coming up to the time where... Uh, Salesforce will be vulnerable to to, to new technologies. So. A couple of things that were interesting there. One is, you know, okay, even if Microsoft could buy Salesforce, which they they could if they wanted to, but I mean, my, they they would they would be waiting too long, right? Should have bought right. them, you know, five years ago when they were, uh, you know, one or two billion dollar company. I mean, it's just such a such a huge huge acquisition. It's almost it's almost a not a capitulation, but it's the word. It's a um, just an admission that. You just can't, you know, you failed to either recognize that value and buy it when it made sense or build it internally. Right. Um, and what was the other thing he was saying? Oh, about losing talent, which I, I didn't really consider. And that's, that's oh, fairly that, true. That always happens, right? You're always going to people that leave that don't, you know, people that are just like, I'm not going to work for Microsoft. Yeah. Let's take my money and go. You have so. lots of opportunities to do that. In fact, I think we're coming up to the time where uh, Salesforce will be vulnerable to, to, to new technology. Oh, that was it. So, you know, now that Microsoft is, or sorry, Salesforce is a, you know, five or $6 billion company, and we've talked about this a little bit, just it's that you're going to have all these little, you know, innovative new companies nipping at their heels, solving problems for small and medium business that Salesforce is just too big to be able to address. Right. And really cater to. Hmm. So I do think that uh, uh, this is one of those things where it's fun to talk about. And if I were Benioff, I'd hit the bid in a heartbeat if somebody offered, you know, 50 billion plus. Sure. But uh, I, I think from Microsoft's point of view, it would be strategically a terrible mistake. Yeah, I don't think it makes sense for Microsoft. I don't think so either. Um, so there's more. There's other interesting theories. I, th I think um, I heard some. Inter I heard an interesting case made for Amazon. But uh, I got one other little clip here. Eric Hesseldahl at Recode wrote, the best deal for Salesforce is no deal at all. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I mean, I wouldn't. All right. There you go. <laughs> she agrees. End of story. Yep. Um, but then we've got, you know, people saying they're better off, you know, maybe better off as a private company. Um, there's another interesting theory. Silicon Valley doesn't want Salesforce to sell because who are going to buy the Silicon Valley startups? I mean, Salesforce has bought some, something on the order of 30 or 40 small small to actually fairly large companies. The biggest one was exact target, right? They're out of Indiana, but yeah. they bought a lot of, uh, you know, Silicon Valley area, Bay area companies. Um, let's see Amazon because AWS would benefit somehow. I don't quite understand that. The more interesting theory with Amazon for me was that, uh, they want to move AWS up the enterprise stack. So, 
believe it or not, I think Salesforce has a better has better inroads to enterprise than AWS does. AWS is still, I think, mainly used by small businesses, medium businesses, um, startups, startups, right? Just such low commitment and you know scaling capabilities. Um, enterprises are still, you know, they've still got giant data centers that data centers that they're managing themselves. All right. You know, they're experimenting with, you know, running cloud technologies internally, you know, virtualization and things. And they're starting to experiment with hybrid, but you know, this like very slow launch of things like OpenStack and some of these efforts to get enterprises on cloud technologies, I think is is an indication that that, that may make sense actually for for Amazon to buy Salesforce. They've got because Salesforce, you know, Salesforce plays the game, the, the the enterprise sales game, the way it's been played for decades now, which is a giant Salesforce, you know, stakes and booze and whatever, you know. I think your word earlier was stakes and hookers, yeah. <laughs> hookers and blow. You know, just uh, and they've you know just a massive um, sales push, right, with high end salespeople. Um, right. And. And if if their Amazon is looking to move AWS and AWS is pretty big now that well they just announced their they finally announced how big it is it's like a five billion dollar operation so they certainly could use tap into that Salesforce Salesforce is Salesforce <laughs> so that's that's actually the more interesting new theory I think um, but it's then still, it's still not you know here we are this week it's the news is getting sad and boring you know rumors of rumors of a salesforce deal are fading that was in san francisco's uh, cbs yeah. station and then finally mark commented he says uh you know i can't comment on the rumors that's the nature um this is the first time we've seen this um that's the reality my dream and what i'm committed to doing is the same thing from the beginning which is being which is being the fastest software company to to 5 billion in revenue and we are going to be, if I have anything to do about it, and this is my dream, the fastest company to $10 billion in revenue. It is absolutely my dream, and I'm dedicated to being the fastest to $10 billion. That's his thing. Yeah. I really don't think he wants to sell right now. I think he, I think he wants to see this at $10 billion now that he, 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 that's his, that is his mantra now. You know, he's promised it. He's kind of staked it. And uh, I, I, don't, I wouldn't expect anything before they hit that. And, and they will. In a few more years, they'll hit $10 billion. And then I think, you know, reevaluate at that point. Well, I mean, yeah. they're, they're big now, and if that, that's even a bigger chunk for someone to not be able to afford. Yeah, but you got, you got to give them uh, congratulations for you know, having that stock pop 10% or so. That was, that was nice. Yeah. <laughs> Might <laughs> have had some unintended consequences, though, right? Did it? Yeah. Well, because, uh, um, uh, who was it? Morgan Stanley dropped them from the best ideas list. You think, you think that was related? I thought that was unrelated. I think it's related. I mean, you get that bump in the stock. And it's, it's almost an artificial bump because it was purely based on speculation of some kind of buyout offer. So that's going to have to come down and settle. So, you, you know, you're not going to want to be buying it at that price because it's going to come down. Yeah, but they took them off there. What was it? The best ideas. That was like, I think that was. But I think they only moved it to some kind of hold list. Like, you know, just hold, hold for now with what you have. You know, don't get aggressive about buying it just yet. Well, that's okay. So their, their buy rating or whatever on Salesforce, on their stock is is different from their best ideas list of companies. Mm. I mean, they're kind of related. I mean, I, if you, if they take you off the list, that's not a good sign, right? (laughs) (laughs) It kind of says something, but yeah, I, you know, I saw that. I I don't know. Who knows what it takes to get onto that. And I don't think it necessarily means anything that they got taken off. Yeah. 
Well, that's that. So I think, yeah, I, I think, mean, I think the acquisition news is uh, tapering off. Yeah, and I'm kind of tired of talking about I it. I am too. I'm tired of reading about it. I it, say unless some like something like massive new development happens and we get like a name of somebody, uh, I'm going to stop talking yeah, about it. And I want to know what we've been distracted from with all this fake news. And your squirrels. Exactly. <laughs> don't have a Where's that squirrel, man? I don't have it. <laughs> squirrel! <laughs> but Salesforce isn't just sitting back letting the rumors move on. They're doing stuff, right? They just I'm announced sure they a partnership with Sage. Oh, yeah. And they created, they created Sage Life. This is weird. It's an application entirely built on Salesforce.com. I mean, why would Sage do that? Okay, so let's... So, okay, so what we're talking about here is Sage, which is a UK-based, like, accounting software company, right? Mm-hmm. But they have a CRM, too. Have you ever worked with Sage CRM, or have you ever been forced to? No. They have a CRM, but I mean, they're mainly an accounting thing. And, and that's what they're trying to bring to Salesforce. I guess so, but it, it's just so weird for them to, they're building it on force.com. I mean. Well, it's meant to be a. a sure I'm sure Sage's developers it, are excited about that. <laughs> the financial force developers? No, the Sage developers. Oh. I'm sure they're excited about having to build something on force.com. Oh, they built it. Is it done? I, I well, saw I saw some video that had some. Uh, yeah, that was probably like an animation. That you made think it, that was all fake? I don't know. It's hard to tell. I'm sure we'll definitely see more about it in sales at Dreamforce. It certainly didn't look. It didn't look. We will probably have a very big presentation on it at at Dreamforce. It didn't look great, though, did it? Um, it looked like it was kind of a animation screenshot of maybe a tablet format. So, you know, information was at a really high summary level. So, like, you couldn't really see, you know, all the different tooling and everything because it is meant to be a kind of accounting and you know that whole that whole missing piece from Salesforce that you're not getting. Yeah. So I, I well, unless you have financial force, right? Yeah, they're the only other ones doing. Well, I'm sure there's others trying to do accounting, but I mean, as far as the ones that are out there that you know anyone knows about, it's going to be financial force and now Sage. I couldn't name another one. I'm sure there there might be. I can't imagine building an application as large as financial force on force.com. I mean, I know what those guys go through. It's it's just torture. It's but it is possible. It, it is, I mean, it, blood, sweat, and tears. It is, is possible. Tur- it is Turing complete. So you can build, technically can't build anything on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so here's a little thing. It's a, a blurb. Um, it means that Sage gets a customizable, mobile, accessible, and modern product, not to mention a healthy dose of credibility that comes from being friendly with Salesforce. I think that latter thing is probably the biggest part of it. Um, Sage is also committing to something they're calling Pledge 1% which is just like a similar to the 111 I guess. I don't, I don't think it's similar. I think they are trying to they're doing 111 now, aren't they? Well, I mean the question is what is 111? We it's a moving target, so I'm, that's why I'm saying it's <laughs> similar to it. We don't exactly even know what 111 is. It's not fully locked Forbes down. described it as it's in a moving a fil- target. This is the way Forbes described it. In a fil- in a sign of good feeling, Sage is committing to pledge 1% a fill Philanthropic commitment based on Salesforce's one 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 model. Pledge one percent encourages and challenges individuals and companies to pledge. pledge. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you're looking, I'm looking at the same. <laughs> this is Ben Keeps, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're right. It's kind of vague. Are they subscribing to the one one one, or are they just kind of saying, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna do one percent of something"? I, I got a secret for you. Ben, Benioff, it doesn't matter. It's just for show. It doesn't. <laughs> it does matter. Benioff's gonna want to want to want you to do the one one one. And he wants you to sign the pledge. By the way, I give him props for one one one. That thing just rolls off the tongue, man. One one one. One one one. 
I don't know. I think it's kind of weird. It's kind of, it's like WWW, I guess. No, I like it. One one one. Are you doing the one one one? We're doing the one one one. Let's do the one one one. We're all doing the one one one. Hashtag one one one. Yeah. There you go. I'm sure that exists. Um, oh, this is also interesting. I think Salesforce will take a minority position in Sage, in in part as a goodwill gesture. Really? Hey, that's what all these rumors were about. Maybe they're about to acquire Sage. Yeah. <laughs> let's 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 fan the flames. Let's just add some more and toss it on there. Right. Let's just speculate. I know. Anything anything Salesforce does related with another company is now going to be speculative on. Okay, well maybe this was what they what that was about, or maybe this was what that was about. Right. You know. Oh, he was at Dreamforce when shaking hands with with the uh, Microsoft CEO. I cannot say his name. Why can I not say his name? Satya Nadella. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of funny though because I complain about there's not enough like, quality reporting in this sector. And here you are speculating. But then, no, no I'm not speculating. <laughs> look at all these. Look at what we've been deluged with for the past two weeks. A bunch of crap. It's all to distract us from a big announcement at Dreamforce, man. It's I, well, you, and again. You got to wonder, like, okay. You know, you, there's the only news you can find about Salesforce is all this completely, uh, you know, substanceless reporting about something that there's that doesn't exist. Um, so what are we being distracted from? What's the real news? What's really well, going Sage on? Sage is real news. Yeah, but it's uh, is that a vaporware or no. that? That's so weird. Like they have a website and everything. What, what does Sage get out of this? <laughs> <laughs> What do they get out of this? Uh, they 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 get to sell their software to an entire Salesforce CRM community that, of small I, business. Yeah. What, what there's a lot of right. I mean, who wouldn't want that? Yep. And it's good for Salesforce too because it's that's a big software company to have as an App Exchange yeah product, right? And they're really trying to get the App Exchange products going. But not only that, I mean, is has Salesforce pretty much decided that they're not going to try to own accounting? They're not going to try to be NetSuite. I don't know. I mean, they can only do so much. Yeah. I mean, you can only. I think they want to focus on the platform. They want to, you know, obviously CRM is a big part of that, but I think they want to focus on the platform and not necessarily trying to be, you know, well, NetSuite. I don't know why, but NetSuite's just a, a big example of that because they do both. Cloud-based and does both. Yeah. SaaS-based. Right. Hmm. That's all I got, man. Yeah. That's, that's it. Fitbit, OS, acquisition news, and Sage Life. So I've I, uh, been having fun with the uh, metadata app. You've been working on a big deployment, setting up, you know, uh, full automated deployments and everything. And I've, I've had all kinds of fun things. All you have to do is look at my Twitter stream to. Uh... So here, here's one. So yesterday I was trying to run a, just, I needed to get into a sandbox and run a single test class. And now when you, I don't know if this is new or what, but when you, I, I open up the Apex test execution and executed one test and it sat in a queue for five minutes. And then later I had one that sat there for like 15 minutes in a queue bef- before it even runs. And then we were on the team, we were discussing how we were, we're having problems. People are committing in changes that are, are, are actually that break, that break the bill, that break tests and things. And the problem is, when you make a change, you, know, so you implement a feature or whatever, and then you go to you know commit it in before you, if you want to test, you know, in order to run the test, you're talking about like an hour or more proposition here to make to make sure you didn't you know introduce any kind of regression or anything. Right. And people just don't have the time to do it. They can't do it. So what? How do you solve that? 
I mean, because the, the by far like the 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 brain dead best practices, you always run tests before you commit in the code. Right. I mean, if the and the continuous integration server is going to get you anyway eventually, right? It's going to because it's going to check it out and run all tests. But you know, do developers do they always you run all tests before you commit in the code, or do you just say, hey, I don't have a two, I don't have an hour or two to wait for that. I've got to move on. The latter, yeah, because that's what I do. <laughs> it's sad, but that's really the case. In fact, it's it's rare that I ever. Yeah, it's rare that I ever actually run all tests. I run the tests for for my logic that I'm working on at that point in time. The only time I ever run the entire unit test is when I'm about to deploy to production, which is kind of sad. Yeah. And then another fun thing I found was that you can, you know, if you're going to deploy, do a deployment to production, you you can't deploy any classes that are referenced by an Apex job that ran at any point in the past. That that's still, you know, there's still like a, I guess a log for. Not even a log. Yeah, but, you have those kind of dependencies on jobs. So then you can either. So what you have to do is you have to call in production. You have to execute, you know, system dot abort job on any job that is out there, and that's a one job per method call. I think there is a method call that will remove all completed jobs. And by the way, these are completed jobs, not running jobs or queued. Completely done completed jobs. Um, there's a method call that you can delete all jobs that you know after that were run after a certain date. So then I'm like, okay, well, do we, does that, should that be a part of your deployment, automated deployment process, like some script that executes this in production, just deletes all abort, um, completed jobs? I mean, it kind of should, shouldn't it? I mean, considering that dependency, yeah, but yeah. again, that's historical information. That I know. You, you don't want to lose it. You don't want to lose it. All so, right. this is, to me, this is, that's kind of like a bug. I should be able to, because once the job is complete, it doesn't, I don't think that completed job record it shouldn't care about what's in that class going forward. Right. In the Apex class. Um, and then another fun one I got was uh, a profile was failing to deploy. And the message was invalid cross-reference ID. And this profile is a 10,000, almost 10,000 line profile. And it didn't give me, a, it doesn't give you a line number. So some things the metadata API gives you line numbers for. Like, hey, you know, this was wrong and here's the line number. Go fix it, right? Great. Mm-hmm. Well, this thing, no, no line number whatsoever. And on top of that, there was no ID in the profile whatsoever. So what do you do with that? 10,000 line profile. You have an invalid cross-reference ID. Is the error message. What yeah, you, you told me about that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what you do. Did you ever figure it out? No. Yeah, so, I don't know. Just fun with enterprise software. That's did, my, you hear, did you hear the rain? Yeah, it's... Got some weather going on here. The, uh, I hear, good it, days I hear it in my headphones. Yeah. Coming through your mic, probably. Through your mic. Could be. <laughs> Not my mic, your mic. <laughs> your crappy mic. Mine's perfect. Oh. Oh. <laughs> we have the same mic. Yours is newer. <laughs> you have a newer model. Mine's uh-huh. a uh, vintage. A vintage model? Yeah, it's a classic. All right, John. Take us out. To that, I say, good day, sir. Good day, sir. Hashtag MVP Summit 2015. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Are we allowed to cuss on this podcast? It's all funny until they kill us.